I'm Adam Mock, a 40-something-year-old film critic, and we just watched the most alcoholic Christmas movie I have ever seen. <laughs> I'm Melanie Weir, a 27-year-old something, and yeah, the, also hidden feminism messages for the 70s in, in, in this one. I <laughs> and, liked it. And we're about to make you watch. A podcast. Welcome back to Made You Watch a Podcast. Sorry, we've been out of sorts lately. I have been sick for the entire month of December. Yeah, so we had to uh, take a little hiatus, and we're getting back into the Christmas the season. The triple-demic was so real, guys. If you somehow missed getting your flu shot, your COVID shot, whatever, go get it. I had the flu. It was bad. It yeah. was real bad. I am still recovering. <laughs> Eating is hard. You never appreciate how much effort goes into digestion until you become conscious of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I rem- I think you were just living on, like, potatoes. I, literally, not even potatoes. Will's mom, who used to be a nurse, had me on, like, the brat diet. Like, he was mm. checking with her to, to, to see if I could eat things. And, like, finally, on, like, day four, it was like, okay, she can have mashed potatoes. And then I had mashed potatoes and butter with and, like, applesauce and bananas for, like, four days. And then on the fifth day, I could have eggs and toast. And then after that, I hurt my neck, and it kind of, like, relapsed everything, and it was weird. Oh, and then I had McDonald's and Wendy's, and both of those stayed dead down and and now we're good (laughs) so we watched uh from my recommendation 1974 black christmas yeah it's directed by bob clark and if that name sounds familiar that's the guy that made a christmas story but before that he made a slasher movie yeah a really slow burn slasher movie and it was i kept expecting like abject violence and there really wasn't much of that it was more the suggestion the suggestion of violence and then they show you the results yeah we'll which get, i appreciate about old movies yeah and we'll get into that um so we'll take a little break let you hear the trailer and we'll be right back by the way did you stop putting the theme music in in between the no oh i was re-listening to one recently i didn't hear the theme music but i forget which one it is really yeah oh no The high school girl's been murdered. Mr. Harrison's daughter is missing. And now at the house where she lives, the other girls are getting obscene phone calls. Yeah, what I've done is I've tapped this phone so that when it rings, it'll ring at the station house, too. There was a little girl murdered over in the park tonight. Yes, I heard. Your phone's ringing. Hello? Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, star bright, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs. Candlelight glistening off of shimmering Christmas trees, chestnuts roasting over open fires, carolers beneath snow-covered window ledges. Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas, starring Olivia Hussey, Keir Dulay, Margot Kidder, and starring John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. 
Welcome back to Made You Watch a Podcast. So, what did you think of this movie? No. This was actually, I was surprised by how into this I got. I mean, I had the same, like, every time I sit watching a horror movie, I criticize people for making stupid and insane decisions that I would almost certainly make under similar conditions because they're stressed, and yeah. when you're sitting there watching the movie, you're not stressed. But it's still frustrating to watch. This, even still, I was, like, drawn in. I was intrigued. There yeah. were There were bits... They they connected me enough to the characters that I wanted to see what happened, but not so much that I was devastated when they died, which I knew was going to happen. Yeah, some of them are really not likable human beings. That's true. Mar- uh, the movie stars uh, Olivia Hussey, who you may That's know her, her name. Yeah. Oh dear. Uh, she was Juliet in the uh, in the nineteen sixties. I think it was late sixties, early seventies. I Romeo and Juliet. believe I watched that one. There was some underage in... nudity. That was a troublesome thing that they would show you in school, and they go, "Yeah, don't look at this part, kids." Yeah. <laughs> um, it also uh, stars Lois Lane, Margot Kidder as Barb, one of the <sighs> unlikable characters. Just a raging alcoholic. Holy shit. A real mean bitch. Yeah, she was. And John Saxon, who plays Lieutenant Kent Ful- Ken Fuller, who... John Saxon always plays a cop in horror films. It's he, just what he does. Uh, but This guy looks like Zac Efron, if Zac Efron used unspeakable amounts of hair gel. <laughs> he was um, Nancy's father in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. And, I have not seen that. And he has a cameo in, like, From Dust Till Dawn. He plays an FBI agent. I haven't seen that either. Oh, those are good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it also stars um, Andrea Martin, who is a character actress that... She's been in a bunch. She was in, like, uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. She had the bunt cake Another joke. one I haven't seen. <laughs> um, she she's just pops up in things over over the years. Uh, she's a real good comedic actress. She plays Phil. Um, so the movie sta- I liked Phil. The movie starts off with heavy breathing outside of a sorority house. Yeah. And it's all point of view of the serial killer. Sort of like the beginning of the Batman. Which I... I think is so effective. Yeah, it's pretty good. In this film, just because you only see his hands, his legs, you see his eye for one shot. That shot, that made it real creepy. And it looked red. Like, his eye had, like, this weird redness to it. Bloodshot. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, And he sneaks into the attic. He goes into the sorority house. It's, like, two days before Christmas. They're having a little get-together. Yeah. Some of the ugliest dudes you've ever seen. Yeah. Oh, the 70s was not kind. Just none of these people looked like they were in college. <laughs> no, they all looked like they rode hard and put away wet. They, 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 that was some hard living. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm... It's, an old Se- cow- it's an old cowboy term. If a, if a horse is rode hard and put away wet, it means it was just beaten down and worked out really hard. All right. It's an old, old That's term. that You would think that that was meant, that meant something else. Yeah, well, we're a dirty society now. <laughs> um, now, so they, the phone calls that oh. these girls subjected themselves to by not hanging up. Holy shit. They start getting these phone calls, and it's this guy using, like, four different voices. Like, and mm-hmm. one's a baby voice. He's like, I'm gonna get you. Agnes, it's Billy. Don't tell them what we did. Yeah, so you have a feeling like this guy did something with his sister, is mm-hmm. what I got out of that, because he kept saying Agnes. Mm-hmm. Agnes. But you, you never find out who the hell Agnes is. No, you never find out anything about this guy, which is one of my gripes about this movie. Like, I, I wanted to know more about this. They set it up. And then they were like, yeah, but uh, we're not going to tell you anything <laughs> yeah. about that. They really, um, 
the movie starts off. They're ha- like I said, they're having a little party. They're just you. You're getting to know everybody. So it's Andrea Martin and her really weird looking boyfriend. Yeah, this man has a receding hairline. He looked like Gene Shalit, and he certainly <laughs> chose those glasses. Seriously. Um, then you have uh, Jess, who is kind of the final girl of the movie. Yeah. Um, that's you expect the virgin that you meet at the beginning to be the final girl. Yeah. She's all sweet with her boyfriend. So the this one girl is talking to her boyfriend. She's going to meet her father. She goes upstairs to change and get all her stuff packed up to go home for Christmas, and she disappears. Mm-hmm. But she didn't really disappear. She was strangled to death with one of those um, laundry, uh, the yeah, dry her, cleaning yeah, bags. Yeah, for your coat. Because the and killer was in her closet. Because he climbs the trellis and has been living in the attic, basically just messing with these girls' lives for, for a while. Yeah. And they've been, he's been, they say that they've been getting calls for a couple of days now. And basically what happens is he takes the body up to the attic puts her in a rocking chair. She still has the bag on her face. Her yeah. eyes are open. And she's there the whole movie. He's just sitting there rocking I her. Keep, you keep expecting someone to find her. Yeah. Or at least smell her. Anything. But I mean, it's probably cold up there. Yeah. It's probably like a meat It is locker. winter. There is snow outside. Um, they ha- And Margot Kidder is just queen bitch of the sorority. She's always drunk. She's obnoxious. She's got things to say. She's she- like, we're all going skiing up in my cabin. And she loves... She kind of loves messing with the guy on the phone because yeah. he starts saying really. I mean, he's using the c word. He he's getting explicitly sexual, which is yeah. not a theme that holds for the rest of the phone calls. So no. that's not consistent. And then and then Margot Kidder's like, "Oh yeah, I could do better." And she starts going and doing the same thing. And the girls are like, "Stop messing!" Why with would this you guy. antagonize him? Ironically, she's probably one of the ones who could have kept him on the phone. Yeah, right. But I'm with them. I'm like, okay. The second this guy starts leaning creepy on the phone, I hang up. You can hang up the phone. Yeah. And then you have uh, Marion Waldman playing Miss Mac, who is... She was great. The house mother of the sorority, also a raging alcoholic. She has booze hidden all of, in the Can't toilet tank. expect me to be responsible for the morals of all these girls. They'd hump the Eiffel Tower if they could get up there, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. If they could get to the top of it. That is a great line. That is an awesome line. <laughs> and she's just nice to their faces, but she really has disdain for these girls. Mm-hmm. And... It's a whole thing, and she's, I mean, she's hiding booze in everything from a toilet tank to one of those, like, gutted-out books where you cut the pages so the bottle fits perfect. And you get the feeling that she cares about some of them. Yeah, she likes, I think she likes, um, Jess. The dead one. Jess and, and Jess. Phil. And Phil. Uh, Andrea Martin's She really just doesn't like Barb. No one likes Barb. Barb's terrible. The Margot Kidder is a monster in this movie, like... She's the one you don't really feel bad when she dies. Yeah, it's like, well, you were going to die in a few years anyway. Oh, yeah, she's cirrhosis of the liver for sure. And she's smoking all the time. And she has asthma. Yeah. She has an asthma attack halfway through the movie, and it's like, um, yeah, maybe you shouldn't be uh, a two-pack-a-day Newport smoker. Or she would have died of emphysema by, like, 30 anyway. And she I think she was smoking menthol. She did not have much time left. So the the movie is... Pretty simple. There's not a lot to it. It has you kind of know what's going to happen. Yeah, you have all the basic slasher movie 
um, tropes there. You know, the breathing on the phone, the guy, you don't know where he is. The calls are coming from inside, inside the, the house. house. I did feel like I was watching a piece of history. Yeah, this and um, there was a movie called When a Stranger Calls with, oh, what is her name? She played Latka's wife and... Liar, liar from Princess Bride. Oh, <laughs> she's in Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah, I don't remember her I name, cannot, but I love her. Um, but she, uh, yeah, why can't I remember? I gotta look it up. Yeah, because that's gonna bug the shit out of me. Okay. Carol Kane is Carol the actress's Kane. name. That was it. I it, I always forget her name, and I don't know why. I love that woman. She's, she's she's so funny. She's awesome. I in Kimmy Schmidt, she was my favorite character. Yeah, and and she's not in this, but she was in a very similar film where. She was a babysitter, and the calls were coming from inside, inside the, the house. house. It's a, it's one of the like classic hot horror tropes. Um, but what I really loved about this movie is it's so slow. It's meandering. It, yeah, it takes its time, and it lets you get to know all the characters pretty well. Um, there's a lot of... In that indirect way that old movies did that I like, they don't hit you over the head with it. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's, they're not pointing it out, they're just saying little things here and there. I mean, some of the weirdness of these characters, like Margot Kidder at one point, they have little kids over, and... And she's just feeding the kid wine. They're, they're having kids, underprivileged kids, sit on Santa's lap in the sorority house, because, you know, they're, they're, they do, like, nice little things for the community, and she's feeding this kid champagne, and she's like, I think the little effers schnickered. <laughs> and this entire time, this is all put over, what's her name, Claire's father mm. has come to, like, pick her up, and he has to, like, stay at the sorority house, because obviously they can't find her, because she's dead in the attic. Yeah. Uh, and he's just, like, watching with disdain the way the house mother lets her keep her room, and the way all the girls are behaving. Oh, yeah, there's, and like, so- nude... Guys on posters and things like that. And then this bitch is, like, feeding wine to a child right in front of him, and he's like, well... <laughs> and Santa Claus I is I am cursing. a man of the 50s, and I don't appreciate this. And I love how Santa is just cursing up a storm. Yeah, fuck you! <laughs> Santa's naughty, isn't he, Billy? <laughs> um, so the movie goes on, and the calls keep coming in. They don't know where they're coming from. You know, it's the usual stuff, and that's when you start meeting the cops, and you find out that not only is Claire missing, there's a 13-year-old girl who's gone missing also in the neighborhood. You never find out if it's This doesn't, also doesn't have anything to do with anything. No, but I think it was kind of a red herring. It just keys things up, but it does build the suspense, and it does kind of give you the, I don't know... I guess far, we're far enough removed from this environment now that it's like, this is a sense of what crime was like. Yeah. And, you know, you have the whole town looking for this kid. And there was evidently, like, a serial rapist in the neighborhood. Yeah. That Margot Kidder tells Oh, my God. They're one. like, oh, the townie got raped the other day. And she's like, you can't rape a townie. Oh, my Fucking God. Fucking hell. That was a brutal line. I, I, like, I forgot she says that. I've seen this a couple of times. Um, she is just such a monster and kind of the most rememberable character, I think, out of all of them. She's just, like, awful to women in general. She's awful to everybody. She's really just... Yeah, a, you don't really see her interact with I mean, when, you, when they go to the police station, she pulls a can of beer out of her jacket and just starts slamming it back and, like, making fun of this cop. He kind of deserved it. Oh, he was, oh, that guy was he a was moron. He was being an asshole. He was a moron. Sergeant Nash... 
He was terrible. Just wasn't taking anything seriously until the girl's boyfriend shows up. They're like, oh, she's usually at a cabin with a boy. And then he marches in. He's like, why the hell aren't you taking this seriously? (laughs) Well, we thought she was with you. Yeah. The next person who gets murdered is the house mother. Yeah, because she finds them in the attic. She well, she's looking for the cat Claude. That that she hears the cat meowing up in the attic. She goes up, and she gets her coat caught. There's a taxi waiting for her to take her to her sister's, and she gets her coat caught on the little uh, trap door to get into the attic. And for some reason, there's like a giant hook, hook on a on a on a like a pulley system. Yeah, and she gets railed right in the face and just. He pulls her up, and she's not a tiny woman. I'm kind of impressed with the uh, yeah, she's just dead. the upper body strength of this guy. And you know, I feel like if she hadn't turned around, if she had just shut the attic door, oh, she would have been fine. She would have been fine. Yeah, but she, she wouldn't saw. have found Claude. That was like the biggest thing. Um, so now it's just down to Andrea Martin, Phil, um, Margot Kidder, and, and Barb Je- and Barb and Jess. Yeah, and. They're, Margot Kidder's really not taking anything seriously. They're like, we'll find our friend. Don't worry. She probably just got mad and left. Whatever. And Phil is losing it. She's crying every two seconds. She's she's just like the really emotional one. I liked Phil. Yeah, Phil is the sweetheart. Um, And then, and Jess is really taking it because her boyfriend is the biggest dick on the planet. Yeah, because she tells him she's pregnant and she wants to get an abortion. And he's like, no, actually, my conservatory career is failing, so we're going to get married and have this kid now. You can't kill our baby. You can't. You didn't even ask me. Yeah. Surprisingly pro-choice yeah. for the 70s. Like, shockingly so. Yeah, but he was just, I mean... The movie, not him. He's a dick. He's another red herring because... The whole movie, you start questioning, is Oh, he the I am killer? sus. You, you... Immediately. I don't trust composers like yeah, that. Yeah, you thought Peter was the killer. And it... the I mean, there's not a ton to this movie. It's very... It's very bare bones, but... Yeah, there's so much down... T- there's a lot of downtime, but... It's good writing. It's character building downtime. Yeah. That's what I kind of dug about it. It doesn't... It... Like you said, it doesn't... Throw it in your face. It's normal conversations that give you everything you need Keeping to Keeping suspense up in a movie like this is trying to keep, like, a pot on simmer. You yeah. know, you got to keep stirring it, but just enough. You don't want to disperse too much of the heat. Yeah. It- and the music is interesting because they don't use any upbeat Christmas songs. No. It's all, like... Oh, come all ye faithful. Creepy. Creepy. And children singing, they employ that. Yep. And um, it's, it just, and anytime you, the killer's around, you hear that, like, where you rake your finger across piano strings, that. Yeah. Which is, all they, the other red herring they give you is that, like, Peter is, like, he does bad in his jury. And I want to take a pause here to say, it is so funny how seriously people used to take themselves like i've done musical juries like that obviously not as like a big at a big conservatory school i don't know if they dress all fancy like but there were just these three very serious mustachioed men just staring at him while he played and i i cannot fathom how important these men must have thought they were and that music was oh god that was was god awful it was like experimental concerto that he, was all off key. If you knew, if you know Eric Whitaker music, this guy wanted to be Eric Whitaker for horror movies, but he kept hitting just slightly the wrong harmonies. And he's sweating like a pig. He's going like off. And he's so intense. And the next scene is 
him smashing a piano and it makes a, a sound piano oh yeah you know just two years of tuition down the drain and it makes <laughs> a sound a lot like what you hear whenever the killer's around yeah yeah and and that i think was an important element that just keeps you thinking peter's a creep he's yeah. doing this also because he gets back to the house to talk to jess about the abortion and things like that and He's like he breaks like ornaments on the tree. He's being just a textbook privileged white boy. Yeah, no, he's he's nothing matters because I'm mad and things can be replaced, but my emotions are the most important thing. Yeah, you're really waiting for five across the eye from this guy. Like <laughs> I, I thought he was gonna hit her at one point. Yeah, and. She's handle uh Jess handles it really well. I like when she said, "Remember when you we were first together and you told me about your dreams of being a composer and I told you about some of the things that I wanted to do." They don't give you any detail there. Mm. She's like, "I still want to do those things." And like props to this movie. Exactly that. And he's like, "You can still do all that when we're married." No, that's a trap because you're going to be like it's your place to be at home with the baby. Yeah. And and he really is just king shit he's he's just an he's asshole. the worst he's really a when she says i don't want to marry you i'm like good for you babe yeah now she she's got her head on straight for a girl of the 70s mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's cute as a button yes oh she's gorgeous i love that girl um so now um the lieutenant john saxon he's trying to figure all this out they put a wiretap on the house. He and they- yells at the the bad cop for not taking any of their complaints seriously. He's like, we've got a girl missing. We've got a murdered 13-year-old girl. And we've got creepy ho- calls coming into the house of one of the girls who was missing. You didn't connect those dots? Yeah, the, uh, Nash is a moron. Na- I mean, they give him a fake number. Back in the day, you used to use um, telephone codes. You didn't have like a 917 or a 212. You put in like letters, so you, you sometimes in old movies you hear like Pennsylvania four one two. Yeah, that's what that is. Okay. And Marco Kidder gives them the word fellatio and says it's a new one. Jesus. And they like are cracking up because Nash doesn't know what fellatio means. Of course moron. he doesn't. Oh, He's like, oh yeah, one of the sorority girls gave it to me when she was here earlier. <laughs> they gave you fellatio. Yeah, they gave me fellatio. <laughs> And I just love that one cop whose job is just to laugh, to laugh at everything. At, at, he was it's, a hyena. You yeah, it's, yeah, it's like it was literally like there was a hyena in the squad room, <laughs> like that. Oh God, sorry. <laughs> so um, they now have a phone tap on, and they keep telling Jess. It was interesting to watch how physical the phone tap had to be. Oh man, like he had to like go in, take apart the phone, put a little thing on it. Then he had to go to the, the, the place where they keep all the lines, and yeah, he had to run around like a little rat in a maze. Magnetic contacts clicking back and forth. And he's like, oh, it goes to this one. And then I run down a little hallway, and he'd be like, oh, and then it touches this one, and ah, oh, they hung up. I lost the wire. Yeah, now in, like, NCIS, they just, like, hit a button. Literally. Enhance. <laughs> enhance. So, um, this guy calls, like, four times. They cannot catch him and they're like yelling at her keep him on the phone what do you want me to do he does not follow normal conversation patterns i don't know what to say he chooses one to hang up sir yeah he just he like you said we just he just makes random noises he does pig yeah it's it's very bizarre yeah so they're just having a hell of a time tracking this guy down and they don't even do it until the third act i mean it's like the last scene um, so now the other girls have decided they're going to go help look for the 13-year-old who's missing, and they, 
which is random. I mean, yeah, it is. They have the whole town. They're doing a big search party. I mean, actually, if you think about it from a human perspective, it makes sense because they're like, well, we can't find our friend, but we may as well help someone. Yeah. It actually makes it, it adds kind of a realism to yeah. it because, like, in real life, not everything is about what's happening to you right now. Yeah. Sometimes there are red herrings. Yeah. And, um,. I think it was Jess who found her. I think it might have actually been Phil. <coughs> was it? Yeah. I don't remember. I just remember one of them looking off camera. Just is screaming. Is petrified, murder. screaming. Then the mother comes over and it's like really, it's like. The they really invest you in the, this this little girl who you yeah. just heard a tidbit about. It's like the Kittner boy in Jaws. It's just like, yeah. you know, just looking for this dead kid. And it, it's. They, they, you know, they're all in shock. They decide, let's just go back to the house, try to get some sleep. Phil's had a cold this whole time, so she's, yeah. she's drugged up on, like, cold medicine, and she's crying every two seconds. Now she's crying! <laughs> um, and it just kind of takes off from there. Barb, at one point, accuses everybody. She's like, you're all thinking it. I drove her away. This is my fault. Nobody is thinking this. Oh, the, Barb just feels guilty for calling her a virgin. Yeah, the, the, the first girl who dies. Yeah, uh, Claire. Claire, yeah. yeah. And she's drunk as hell. I mean, she's like five whiskeys in. And it takes like five people, like five different, no, two different people telling her five different times, Barb, you are drunk. Go to bed. Yeah. And for her to be like, oh. Well, all right. And she finally does, and that's when the killer goes into her room, and there's... She has, like, a collection of, like, crystal animals, and yeah, she has a um, unicorn. Yeah, a glass menagerie. And she's got a unicorn with this huge horn on it. Which, I don't know if that's a reference to the play, The Glass Menagerie. It doesn't really seem to have anything to do with this. I've never seen The Glass Menagerie. Oh. I've heard a, of it. I've never watched it. It's a classic. I know. <laughs> just one I, of those classics never got around just, to. It's about, like... A young woman who definitely has autism and probably and like a gimpy leg, so nobody pays attention to her. Mm. And like her mom and her brother like wants out of the house, and her mom is like an aging Southern belle. Oh, okay. And she she just wants like one night a romantic experience and to show somebody her cute little glass menagerie zoo. I do declare. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> a it's a whole thing. Um, I really find it so interesting that this is the guy who made a Christmas story. Like, it's so, it's such the opposite. It's like finding out that Little Shop of Horrors guy also made all of your Disney movies. It's absolutely crackers. I mean, the guy, he had a range. He had a really good range. And to be fair, Christmas Story has a lot of horror movie elements in it. I was kind of afraid of that movie when I was a kid. Ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. And like that kid with the beaver hat and the red eyes, the yellow oh. eyes. What the hell was up with him? I remember him from the show Titus. 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 Uh, he's a comedian, um, and he had a show, and he played Titus's brother on it. Hmm. He was also in, I believe, one of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. No, he was. In, he might have been Freddy versus Jason. I'm not sure. He's got one of those faces. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. He's a ginger as hell, and he's just pointy. <laughs> yeah, and those teeth. Yeah. Oof. Gold. So, where were we in this movie? So now... Barb went to bed. Barb went to bed. She has Phil, an asthma attack first. Yes. Phil has just realized that all none of the doors and windows are locked. Yeah, because the front door is broken. They can't get the, the, the guy to fix it. You see the killer go into Barb's room, and you think he's going to kill her, but then she wakes up. You hear her having an asthma attack, and you think she's being strangled. Yeah. But then uh, Jess goes in there, and she's having an asthma attack, and she's like, I had a dream. That there was a strange man in my room. He was standing over me. And then 
later on. Which is another clue that it's not Peter because she would have recognized Peter. Yeah, and Peter, I think, was just coming back from the... Had just left, I think. Yeah. Um, because one of the calls come in and Peter walks in on one of the calls and you think it's the killer. And Because he's he, coming down the stairs. And he throws his coat down and Jess turns around. She's like... Peter, you scared the hell out of me. And he goes, yeah, I thought you were upstairs. <laughs> Didn't know. So you now are like, it could be Peter. I doubt it, though. You know, it. it they really kind of take you all over the place. Yeah. It's not structured the way a normal horror is. It's really, it's well crafted. Which I appreciate it. It's well crafted. It keeps you guessing. It it's really, told like a real story, not like somebody trying to repeat tropes. Yeah, and and... It's not like in like when you watch Scream and everything is that snappy snap dialogue that kids don't use. These people are just like having normal conversation. Yeah. And it's really lived in and it 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 feels very, very real. The setting too. I they, they did a lot of little details and like all the girls' rooms were different. Yeah, and there were some great shots in this movie. Like yeah. that one the shot lighting. where the dad is looking at the dead girl. And he steps in, and there's there's like a light behind him, and he keeps like blocking it with his head. And um, the other shot where they're looking through the um, the window in the basement, yeah, or the shot um, at the end even where it like zooms out of the window. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love that little. Um, it's not a peephole, but it's like a piece of glass that gives you like a fisheye lens. That was really cool. That's awesome. I it, want like one of those. in the front door. That was so cool. Yeah. So like none of this. This house is so unsecure it's ridiculous and phil is like oh we have not locked any windows and doors we should do that because yeah. they see these creepy men in the window and then they're just like uh, dwight Schrute oh the, times ser- the two. search party guys the neighborhood watch guys who and are so excited and they wouldn't leave one of them's got like a shotgun you make sure you lock all your windows and doors if you see anybody strange it's probably us but hey you never know a girl was murdered tonight <laughs> speaking of shotguns what was with the old man who sh- shot the cop in the ass with birdshot? There were just little, every time you went back to the police precinct, you think somebody, something serious is going to happen, and it's just bullshit. Yeah. It's just insane <coughs> things happening. It's absolutely bonkers, and they're not goofy cops, but they're small town, they're towny cops. Yeah. Except for John Saxon, who really has his head on. He's got detective from the city vibes. Oh, yeah, he... he, he he moved to a small town so that his wife could settle down with the kids. Exactly. So now um, Barb's dead. She gets stabbed with the uh, with the crystal unicorn. Yes, it's pretty. It's pretty brutal. You don't see much, but I think that's what makes it effective. Is you don't really see the kills. You see the aftermath. Yeah, which I think like seeing the kills is just too much. It's just too in your face. And then I'm thinking about how gory it is instead of yeah. the horrific act. But what's so well done is like he'll pose the bodies in yeah. certain ways like later on andrea martin gets killed um, phil goes into the room to check on barb and, and the door swings shut ominously mm-hmm. and you don't see it you don't hear it but the next shot is her laying in bed kind of like posed next to her with her arms like up. they're kind of holding each other it's sort of like a renaissance painting of lesbians that yeah. aren't lesbians because you can't say that <laughs> can't say that on television so now it's down to Jess, um, and she gets the phone call. They trace they, it. Uh, they, they, yeah, they trace it. The guy's running through the mouse hallways again, and he finally finds it. And he's like, yes, but it takes so freaking long to transmit the information. Yeah, I know. It's it's ridiculous. And you uh, find out the cop that's been guarding them out front had his neck slashed at some point, which, how did that happen? Did just, the killer leave and just yeah, go back in? Crawl down, slit his throat, crawl back up. I think anybody would notice. 
I guess. And um, so now the John Saxon's like, call this girl, Nash. Listen to me, you moron. If you fuck this up, I'll kill you. Yeah, he's like, you mess this up, I will kill you myself. Call her. Don't tell her the call's in the house. Just get, tell her to grab her coat, walk out the front door, and just wait for me. I'll be there in five. And he hits the lights. They, they're they're tear-assing across town trying to get to her. And she he tells her exactly what he said, and she looks upstairs, and she starts calling them, and he freaks out immediately. He's like, don't do that! Don't go upstairs! The killer's in the house! Yeah, and she doesn't realize that Barb and Phil are dead. Obviously. So she's like, oh, God, like, I got to go check on them. She finds the bodies. I do not have final girl energy. I would do exactly what they said. I would have been like, yep, uh uh-huh, I do not have it in me to face a killer, and if my friends are upstairs, I'm just going to assume they're dead, and if they're not, sorry, guys, I wanted to live. The cops will be here in three minutes. Yeah. Like, seriously, John Saxon I can't do anything in the interim, and it would be better for me not to call attention to this. Yeah, so they are, um, she's getting chased by the guy. She goes upstairs. And the door is kind of half open, and she can see his eye through the crack. So creepy. Creepiest moment in the whole movie. And he's just like, very good payoff. (laughs) Making like all these creepy-ass baby noises and shit. She slams the door in his face. And that's why I said, was there a coat hook or something that he hit? Maybe. Because he was screaming like he got stabbed to death. I I thought she slammed it closed on his hand because it kept going to his bloody hand. Oh, I didn't even realize. I thought that was just blood from the killings. No, I think she slammed it on his fingers, which, like, yeah, no joke. So now um, she runs downstairs. She can't get the front door open because the front door is always breaking, and uh, they can't get the landlord over to fix it. So she hides in the basement. Girl, go out the back door. We saw a back door earlier. Use that. And then you see some figure outside the window looking in. He's scratching at the glass trying to get the frost off. Oh, well, the killer gets her by the hair as she's trying to go for the back door. That's important. Yeah. And then, so she's in the basement. He's slamming on the door. And it's Phil. Phil is outside and he's like, what are you doing in the basement? And he gets in the house. He breaks the glass and just jumps down. He is. Yeah. He loves breaking stuff. Yeah. Pianos, windows. He don't care. Ornaments. <laughs> he breaks like three things in this movie. Um, so this is where it gets really dark because. I don't think she killed Peter. I think, no, I think she killed Peter. No. She, they said it. They said it. They said, I don't believe she would kill Peter. I think that the murderer got them both. No, because she was still alive. Yeah, but she was on. T- he was on top of her in such a way, like how? I think she. I think she. I think she killed him. I think she killed him with that. Uh, no, because po- okay, she had the fireplace. I poker. know she had the fireplace poker, <clears throat> but I think that the killer got into the basement from another way because he was back in the house when at the end, and also he was posed in front of her like he was trying to shield her from something. Possibly. You might be right. She, he wasn't facing her. And she's her. unconscious now. He wasn't facing her like he was in the shot before where she was staring at him all scared. And he and probably ran because the cops came. She, yeah, and she wouldn't have just randomly screamed if he was already in front of her. Yeah. No, I think the killer came back in and he killed. He tried to kill them both and he couldn't finish the job with her. Yeah. So now the cops are just combing the place. They can't find anything. They don't even find the bodies in the attic. They don't. Which is weird because they, they said the morgue couldn't handle this many bodies. Two? Yeah. It wasn't even two. It was four. one. No, it, it, it was three. It would be the dead it girl been in three. the park. It would have been three. The two oh, girls in the bed. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. And they then found four because the dead girl's in the park. Two they girls in the them. bed, dead boyfriend, dead girl in the park. That's right. So, Tiny morgue. So it technically five, but they only found four. Yeah. No, six. No. Six. Yeah, six. They've... 
Two in the attic, two in the bedroom, boyfriend well, in the basement, girl in the park. Girl in the... Six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they only found four of them out of the six. Correct. Um, and also one of them had nothing to do with the other ones. And that's what's really even more eerie is now the... Claire is, is unconscious... Uh, not uh, Jess, sorry. Jess is Jess unconscious. is unconscious. Everybody in the room is like watching over her, but then like Claire's the dad faints. He, he faints. like it's finally f- he hit goes him. Into shock. What's happened today? They're like, oh, we need to get to him to a hospital. This so, is bad, and they leave her alone in the room. Well, there's that one cop standing outside the house. You've already learned that doesn't work. Yeah, and um, so the final shot of the film is so affecting. It's the girl with the bag over her face. She's got her eyes open, mouth open, the rocking chair's going. You see the, the, the house mother in the background still hanging with her eyes open. They pan out through the window, and you just see the head in the window, kind of still in the rocking chair, and the cop completely oblivious outside. And then a phone <clears throat> starts ringing. The phone so starts ringing. So you know that he has committed one more murder. And you don't know who this guy is. And you don't know if he gets Jess. That's the end. That is, it just... Fucking lame. Yeah, see, I, I love when movies do that. No, I wanted to know more about this guy. I don't care if you tell me more about him and then they don't catch him, but I don't find that satisfying. No, they they remade this twice. Like, within, like, ten years of each other. It was really, they did one, like, a couple of years ago, and then they did one, like, I think ten years ago. Were either of them any good? I only saw one, I only saw the, the first remake, and... It, it's okay. It's it's like a scream movie, and I don't even remember if I think it has the same ending. I think it's pretty much beat for beat, just modernized. I just why would you not <clears throat> try to flesh that out in the modern day when we actually understand a little bit more about why people do things like this? Because that's what that's the other thing. And I guess they didn't have an answer back then, so there's your excuse. But it, the movie is clearly praising, like raising the question: Why and how could someone do something like this? Yeah. And there's no answer. But I think that's that is kind of why I love movies like this. I love endings that mess with you. You know, it's like like we were talking about the birds not long ago, and that doesn't have an ending. They leave, and the birds are still everywhere. I kind of like that though, because that's just like the birds win. <clears throat> yeah, uh, the birds decided this was their territory like, now. That's gonna... enough of an explanation for me. Yeah, it's not like, it's like you can yeah, fight... the birds decided. Yeah, it's not like four people can fight like a million birds. That is a satisfying conclusion to the man versus nature question. Yeah. This is a man versus man question that had no answer at the time, which I guess is the only excuse I can give the movie because we knew nothing about mental illness. Yeah, yeah, and and you don't know why he's doing it. You know nothing of his backstory other than. Andrew, uh, Billy it? and Agnes, and Agnes. he obviously they're trying to portray dissociative identity disorder, and they're doing a really terrible job of it. Yeah, and you're, you're, I have a feeling, like, almost you get, like, maybe he killed the parents and was trying to keep Agnes quiet. Like a Crimson Peak scenario? Yeah, and 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 but you never find anything out other than that, and that's yeah. terrifying. That's absolutely chilling. Like, why is he messing why with Why the sorority girls? house? You, you know, it's, it's just... Other than it's just full of bodies for him to kill. I mean, it's. It, I think it's an effective ending. I've always found it really effective. Mindy, Mindy's actually, my girlfriend's the one who recommended we do this. Movie. It's effective in the sense that it's like, yeah, sometimes the world just doesn't make sense and there are senseless things that are bad that happen. Yeah. But I, I'm just like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Do you have anything else for me? <laughs> 
So you want to rate this thing? Yeah, I'm going to give this a solid seven. It's a good movie. It builds suspense well. It does what it set out to do very well. I just don't like the ending. I think it could have said more, perhaps, and it did not. Although, you know what? It gets extra points for being feminist also. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, these girls... They hold their own, they and do. it is made very clear that the structures of power are against them. Nobody takes them yeah. seriously until the men get involved. Yeah, seriously. yeah, it's true. The men, and the men are all, fu- uh, all screw-ups. Yeah. They're absolute screw-ups. Except for, like, the one cop. Yeah, because he's and just... And maybe the one boyfriend, but he's just, like, being a nice guy, TM. <laughs> yeah. Wait, which boyfriend, which boyfriend was that? Chris, not Peter. Oh, the one the fur coat? The hockey guy. He was fine, That yeah. fur coat was baller. <laughs> He looked like Chewbacca. That guy was from Canada. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it was filmed in Canada. No, oh, they were all from Canada. There you go, eh? So... Oh, that explains why that one girl... No, it really doesn't. She sounded Australian. Jess was Australian. She... I thought she was... Uh... She was something. She... It was weird. She... Her accent kept changing. Yeah, she's... I believe she's British. I could be wrong, though. But, um... I'm gonna give this film a nine. Mm. I always liked this film from the first time I saw it. I'm a... I love Bob Clark. I really... I thought A Christmas Story was, as much as it's a played-out movie, that movie was brilliant at the time. I think TNT just ruined that movie yeah. for the world. I've just, oh, my family loves that movie, and I've only, I used to hate it. I've only just started appreciating, oh, this is what Christmas was like for yeah. my dad when he was little, kind of. This and is I, what a boomer Christmas was. Yeah, and I love the idea that someone can make the most cherished Christmas film of all time and also a brutal horror film that honestly is just super well crafted. It's it it has all the story beats. This was before slasher movies in the eighties really took hold and used all it this almost yeah. gave you a lot of the tropes. It kinda did, and you could tell because they all felt very natural and organic, but you recognize them. And this is probably one of the first times you see a lot of this kind of stuff in a horror film. I, you know what? That is, that's just proof that often the cleverest people are also the, the craziest. Exactly. So, um, next time on the show, it's Mel's turn to recommend a Christmas movie. Yes. And we're going to be doing it a week after Christmas, but it's fine. Everybody celebrates that all year. The 12 days of Christmas. Look, I know you're not taking the tree down until after New Year's. You know you're not taking the tree down until after New Year's. Let's stop pretending it's Christmas until January. (laughs) Um, so, and plus I have like a three-year-old niece now. We're going to watch all the Christmas movies after. Yeah. Oh, so I just found out she loves Frozen now. Oh, no. And also apparently she walks around, because I saw her a couple times at Thanksgiving, and now she tells people, she points out, her mom told me, now whenever she sees people with colorful hair, she points out, that person has this color hair like Aunt Mel, but not <laughs> like Aunt Mel, because Aunt Mel's hair is pink and blue, because apparently pink and blue are her favorite colors, too. Oh, So what is the movie you're going to make me watch? Uh, I am going to make you watch, speaking of three-year-olds, a childhood favorite of mine, narrated by the great Randy Travis. Whoa. It's called Annabelle's Wish. It's not just called Annabelle. I've been misnamed. So it's it. so it's not about a killer doll. Not at all. Okay. It's about a cow. <laughs> a haunted doll. It is about a. It's that's now. That's I re- looked it up just because I was curious. I think I had heard of this thing. From what I found, it's a cow and a deaf child helping Santa Claus. Not deaf. He's mute. He's traumatized. They oh. get into it. Oh. Sort of. The cow wants to be a reindeer. Yeah, the cow had like. It is the cow's struggle. dearest wish to be a reindeer. Yeah, dear. So next week on the show, we are going to watch Annabelle's, was it? Annabelle's Wish. Annabelle's and I, Wish. And I will worry, this is not a good movie. No. 
but it it holds a special place in my heart. Well, there you go. I listen. There's so I I could show you movies like that. You would go. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Like <laughs> Cabin Boy. I love that movie. Most people think it's dumb as hell. Have you ever seen the Beauty and the Beast Enchanted Christmas? No, but I was curious how they how would they do that if he got turned into a human at the end of that movie? Oh, it's a story about the Christmas she spent in the castle while he was still a beast. How long was she there? Like a year. They do show you really? them the seasons changing. I've only seen the movie once. She got Adam. I, I didn't like it that much. It wasn't one of my favorites. All right, Jesus, man. I I I, I like it. I appreciate it. It was never one of my favorite Disney films. Easily my second favorite. I mean, from my childhood. Frozen, a, Frozen's my actual I'm not going to say it's a bad movie. It's not. It was up for an Academy Award, it's, for God's sake. It's wonderful. It, and it's Howard, so I, um, I appreciate it even more now. But I just, it much like Little Mermaid, it never grabbed me the way something like Aladdin or The Lion King. Yeah. That, they're, 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 I mean, Aladdin's got Howard's fingerprints all over it. He wrote the damn thing. Oh, yeah. But... Yeah. Yeah. So next week on the show, we are going to do Annabelle's Wish. Yeah, we are. With Randy Travis. So until next time, I've been Adam Mock. I have been Melanie Weir. And we just made you watch a podcast. See you next time. Uh huh. <laughs> that was just bizarre. <laughs> Merry Christmas, folks.